when I was going through all of this, I was looking for a community. I kept thinking, there has to be other moms in my community going through this. And now. <laughs> Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sit off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? How are you doing today? Thank you so much for listening. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 144 of the Chris and Christine Show. Oh, fantastic. It is getting kind of late on a Sunday afternoon, babe. Well, it's not even Sunday afternoon. It's like Sunday late night. It's like time for like late night Denny's dinner or something like that. It's like almost 10 p.m. and you're dragging me into the podcasting studio. By your feet. No. I know. By my (laughs) fingers and toes. Actually, I came of my own accord. If you will remember, I was sitting in here ready and waiting after you sat and tried to wake me up for like 300 hours while I was trying to sleep. You know, both of us took a nap this afternoon. Like we both did. Yeah, we did. I mean... When was your nap, though? Was it while when I was you, gone? No, when you were sleeping on the couch. I was sleeping in here. You were? Yeah, for like a half an hour. But I keep hitting snooze on my alarm clock. I was like, snooze, snooze, snooze. I was like, I got to get up and start doing stuff because it's getting late in the evening. Why? You didn't even have any indication that you were snoozing. All I know is you came in. This is OK, everybody. This is what Chris does when he wants attention. He'll come into whatever room I'm in. And he'll sit there and he'll start playing videos on his phone. And it's the most freaking irritating thing ever. Ladies, imagine you've been working your booty off all weekend long. Your body is telling you like, let me sleep, let me sleep, let me sleep. And you finally lay down to rest and you take a deep breath and you get into that beautiful, like deep, deep sleep. And then all of a sudden you hear like, a random video right in the same room as you. And then you start yelling at the kids from that chair in the same room. Kids, get a shower. I'm like, Chris, are you? They do have school tomorrow. So I'm trying to get them ready for bed. Are you kidding me right now? I'm not kidding you. No. And then you're like, kids, do you want a snack? Like yelling. I don't say you want a snack. I say you want to take a a shower. No, you said, do you want a snack? Come get your food. Get a snack. Are you getting your snack ready? (laughs) They were eating their leftovers from dinner tonight or lunch tonight. Well, it was from dinner. So long story short, it has been a weekend, like quite a weekend over here, a very big week and weekend for us. But my bestie just left our house today because she's been over here since Wednesday Wednesday night. Yeah. And so she was helping me because I had a big wedding this week. Yeah, did uh, how'd it go this big wedding? Was it one wedding or multiple weddings? No, it was one wedding. But man, it was like all hands on deck. I had a huge team that was supporting me, but Bestie and I did all the flower prep ahead of time. So it was one of my clients that I had full service wedding planning with and floral designs. And it was my biggest floral design contract to date. No way. Like biggest in price wise or biggest in amount of number of flowers you actually used? Yes. And yes. How many flowers do you think it was total? Can you count them? Yeah. So I had, um, you know, hydrangeas are the big fluffy flowers that look like little white clouds. Yes. So I had 200 200 stems of white hydrangea, 20 stems of premium purple hydrangea, which are much much more expensive. That's why I only had 20 of them. I had, um, I think, 300 stems of roses 
I had um, this vine. It's called Smilax. It's only in, in season at certain times of the year. Um, but it's how ha- it has to be flown in from Texas. No way. Yeah. And so I use like, I think it was like 75 feet of that vine. And then I had like 40 bundles of uh, 50 bundles of other types of greenery and like probably 40 or 50 other bundles of flowers of different types. So dahlias, garden roses, mums, um, spray roses, all different kinds of flowers. And we, gosh, we did amazing work. You should definitely go over to my Instagram, Christine Smith designs. And that's Christine with a K because I showcased it on a post, um, that I just posted like at two 30 this morning, but the flower arch was next level. I mean, it was a full arch. It yeah, was crazy. Full, full floral coverage. Yeah. Wow, from one end to the other. Now, how far are you going to the bottom and all the way across and up the top? We the didn't side? go all the way to the bottom. And the reason for that is First of all, it's not visible when people are standing right in front of it. You know, the bride's dress and everything oh, covers I, it. I didn't think about that. And yeah. then it's covered by the sweetheart table. We didn't cover the full bottom because they had to separate the different pieces of the arch to take it in and out of the ceremony and reception. So it was a whole circle, but it was in two big pieces. And each side is like super, super heavy. So the guys there at the venue, they had to move it in and out for us to the location. So we prepped it all inside because it had been raining. So we got everything ready inside. They moved it outside for the ceremony and then they moved it back inside for the reception. And for the reception, once it was back inside, we fixed these um, on fishing line, these hanging little glass, they're called orbs. They're like a little circle glass thing with like a hole in it where you can put a candle in. So we had a a, real candle. Well, we did battery operated because I was worried about people bumping into it. But we had these glass orbs that were hanging down and I'm like, it was just literally spectacular. I looked at the Instagram post and it looked really well done. I believe uh, you showed me the uh, before and afters of the reception hall mm-hmm. and the before it looked fancy. It was a fancy hall, kind of basic, but of course you got the house lights on and the crew was right. working on it and stuff. And then he showed me like the evening, it looked like the evening to me, uh, post with the uh, curtains all drawn over all the window shades with these cool lights that went up the curtains and make this blue glow along the curtains. Mm-hmm. And then you had, of course, the tables were all done with the candles and the flowers were all there. And the, I think the disco ball was flying too. Do you guys have a disco? No disco ball. You're so funny. But no. didn't you say that the DJ from this wedding was actually the main DJ from one of the biggest clubs in Las Vegas? Well, he's a resident. He has a residency at with the Tau group. The what, like it's Tau and then whoever the other group is or the other um, casino is that's in that same network. And so he said that he works out there a couple of weeks, a couple of days a month, but yeah, he actually is in residence at, um, at town nightclub in, um, Vegas. But here's the interesting thing is I've worked with DJs before that are like radio DJs or nightclub DJs, and they don't know how to like run a wedding. It's different from like a regular nightclub. Cause you well, have the, what's different about it. Cause you have like the formalities, the- but you have like the formalities. Like you have to be like, Oh, come up for the toasts and all of this, um, father, daughter dance and stuff. But I will say I've worked with a lot of DJs. This man and DJ Al was top notch. He kept the hype going and it was a Persian wedding. So in the Persian culture, they dance before dinner as well as after dinner. So do they drink before and after before and after. Two? Oh yeah. I mean, it's like there's the open bar the whole time. No it's, way. Yeah. Check that out. But huh? the interesting thing is our timeline was re- really compressed because we were trying to get all the guests to their tables. 
There was like 210 guests, I think, like 210 guests. And so no we were way, trying 210 them, guests. Huh? Yeah, trying to get them all in and all at their seats and everything like that. But um, so it got us behind on our timeline because there were so many people. And I was like, hey, I, we're going to have to scratch the dancing before dinner. He's like, I cannot do that. I talked with the bride and groom. We have to keep at least 10 minutes of dancing. So we had to like back up the timeline and the kitchen was like, we have to serve in three minutes. And so I was like, okay, Al, we have to shut it down. But I have never seen so many people like right away get on the dance floor because he got everybody up. And I would say out of the 200 people, 210 people that probably like 70%, probably pretty close to 70% got on the dance floor in those first 10 minutes and they were just dancing. It was crazy. And this guy was like mixing things in and like he had like the whole turntable. Like he was a legit pro DJ. He wasn't didn't just like. did tell me that he didn't set up a single thing? Like he walked in and his crew was there setting everything up and he just walked in, did his thing and walked right out. Yeah. You know, he was he really is like a high, like top tier DJ. So he had his guys. It's like a band, you know, like when the right. band he's comes like the in. lead singer or like the lead performer. Like he would be like the Tim McGraw that walked out. This band set everything up and he yeah, walked out. and he comes out for sound check or whatever, like that kind of stuff. And he's like, walks in ready to go. So he came in just before ceremony. I think like maybe thirty minutes before. How uh, much would it cost to have somebody like that for, say, a wedding like that? Well, thank you so much for asking, but for confidentiality reasons, I sign non-disclosure agreements with my clients where I'm not able to disclose to the public what they pay, and it's not ethical for me to divulge how much. But it's not cheap. But it, you know, you pay for what you get. Also, I always kind of wonder. You hear those gigs about like certain old bands that would like perform at like. Uh, uh, what a quinceañeras maybe or fancy quinceañeras quinceañera that's what i said no quinceañera <laughs> oh quinceañera and maybe like a fancy 16 birthday or maybe a um wedding i hear about these bands like we hired journey to play for us at our band or something at our, mm -hmm. at our party or whatever i can only imagine those gotta be into like hundreds of thousands of dollars for those kind of things I maybe i don't know about that kind of stuff but i just know that it was a flawless day. The bride and groom were over the moon, excited with everything. The bride came up to me multiple times and she goes, she's like, Christine, I don't know. I literally don't know how you did this today. And she was like, it's literally magic. And she said, the fact that you were able to get all of this done and that you're still here and like upright and working and is that, why you're, is that why you're so tired right now? You're just exhausted yeah. from working like all day. Yesterday. 100%. How many hours do you think you put in yesterday? Well, I was up at 6.30 and I went to bed at 3.30 a.m. So what is that? 21 hours? You didn't take any naps or anything in between? I had no time to even sit down. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I sat down for 20 minutes at dinner, but um, I think that was pretty much it. What is your go-to, you think, for like keeping the energy flowing? Is it Red Bulls or Monster or Just straight coffee? momentum. Just straight momentum. I don't use anything fancy anything crazy i just literally keep moving and it's like when you sit down for dinner it just is like oh gosh like am i going to be able to get back up again <laughs> well did any of your crew or staff that was working with you did any of them partake in any kind of energy drinks to keep them going um no we normally go off of gatorade and water it's really important like hydration is super important for us but um, so a very interesting thing, actually, I grew my crew over the weekend. So 
I had Bestie here. Kira was here as my assistant coordinator and floral design assistant. And then my fave floral freelancer, Molly Zager of Molly Zager Floral Designs was there and she didn't have a wedding. So she worked for me for the day. Have I met her before? uh, Yeah, you've met Molly before. She was working with me last weekend too. And we've worked, we worked together a lot, but the, okay, this is such a silly story. So there was one day I was um, getting, I think it was like a DoorDash delivery. It was like one of those where you get a delivery from like CVS Pharmacy. I think it's, is it like DoorDash or Instacart? Yeah, they do that kind of delivery. I think even, does Amazon do that too? I'm not sure. It wasn't Amazon. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was DoorDash. Okay, okay. Were they coming here to the house? Yeah. So this gal came and she was delivering something to me. It was like two bags and it was at the same time as getting a floral delivery. This is like a month ago. And her daughter was with her and they do this and um, they saw my flowers being delivered and they were asking me about it and asking the floral delivery gal about it. And this the lady was so sweet. Her name is Christabel and um, a Latina like me. And so she was just like, oh, my gosh, this is and I was showing her the flowers that I was in the middle of building. I took her back to the studio. and She's like, this is so beautiful. If you ever need help, like reach out to me. Here's my contact info. And she started following me on Instagram And she'll see me posting about different weddings. And she's like, if you ever need help, my daughter and I would love to come and do whatever. We're really inexpensive help, but we love doing weddings and that kind of stuff. And just let us know. And so I was like thinking about it. And then I was like, you know, I really could use extra help for just like three hours on Saturday, helping us unload everything, get the place cards out, all of the little details, stuff that take forever for a wedding of like 220 people or 210 people. So I reached out to her earlier in the week and I was like, Hey, you know, it's not a lot of hours, but I'll pay, you know, $20 for gas. And then this is the hourly rate that I'd pay you and your daughter for three hours. Would you be interested? But you have to wear all black. Like we look professional, but you know, ready to work. They showed up, they were 10 minutes early. They were amazing helpers. No way. Really? So enthusiastic. Check that out. Yeah. And Molly, I'd offered them to help Molly in the past, but she didn't know them, but she got to meet them. And she's like, yeah, hey, I'd love for you guys to come and help me sometime. And, you know, they have jobs like evening jobs and things like that, but they love events. And so, you know, I love this business because one of the things that I get to do is I find different individuals that are passionate and hardworking and help introduce them to an industry and give them some confidence to like start branching out on their own. And then things like this happen where, I mean, she was so excited. Like Christabel and her daughter, M were just, they just, that's awesome. Yeah. They were looking around, like they helped me with centerpiece setup. So it's like, I divided up the tasks. Each of us, like Kira, Molly and I were each in charge of different tasks. And then I had a checklist for Kira and Christabel and M. So then the girls or the ladies, like, once they were done helping Kira, they just went through the checklist and they knew where everything was and they just double check on how I wanted things and they just ran with it. And I will tell you that it's a little bit of an investment of money, but in comparison to how much stress it took off of me, I mean, we had five of us unloading everything. We had unloading done in like 20 minutes and it was two full vehicles and that's amazing. And how was the actual venue? Where was it at exactly? So it was at Madeira's Golf Club in Poway. And, um, it's beautiful. So the ceremony is on this grand lawn that overlooks the whole golf course. So it's like set up above, but the, the view of everybody is it looks out on like the Hills and the greenery. We were worried about rain, but fortunately it dissipated. Like 
the bride and groom were like, you know, we don't want to get a tent. We're just going to take our chances. And then there's this hurricane that's been coming off of Baja, California. That's right. It rained. Yeah. yeah. And we thought it was, oh, gosh, like we were watching the hour to hour forecast. But on Saturday morning, everything shifted and it was like rain was going to be done by 2.30. We had a couple of drizzles at like 3.15, but it was like spinning rain for like two minutes and it was fine. But then there's a huge ballroom inside. And so so once you get everybody inside, rain, whatever, right? Right. So we had three different areas that we used. We had the grand lawn area for the ceremony. The cocktail hour was out behind the um, clubhouse on the patio and they had tables and a bar and tray past appetizers. And then um, everybody came around to the front of the ballroom for the um, reception. But to enter the ballroom, there's this huge fountain that you pass by. And so my team and I, we, and this is like where they would enter through to come around for the reception or the ceremony. Also, we did this huge installation inside of the florals of these like cascading flowers and vines. And it was epic. Like, oh, it was fans. so yes, it sounds so wonderful. Gorgeous. It sounds like something they would see at a Disney theme park. You know, uh, maybe I wouldn't go that far, but the bride did look like a fairy princess. She was so gorgeous. Now the bride and groom, they loved all this. I'm hoping. Oh, I, they I did. assume, right? They did. Okay. But I have to tell you my one like big wedding planner save for the day. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. What's that? Okay. So it's like the ceremony is supposed to start at five 30 and I was going to get everybody lined up like the whole bridal party to go get them over to the ceremony area so that they could enter in. And then I was like, Kira, can you get the bridesmaids groomsmen all lined up? And she's like, okay. And then one of the bridesmaids is like, Christine, there's something wrong with Vita's dress. It's not working right. Like it's all bunched up in the back. And so I was like, um, okay. And so I walk into the bridal suite and there's like a billion people in there and it's not a big room. It's like, there was uh, one of the bridesmaids has an infant baby who's crying and she's trying to nurse him. And then there's like three bridesmaids sitting on the ground playing cards. And then um, some aunt or family member and like came in and then like the groom's mother was in there. It was like way too much was happening. And then I had to like squat down and try and get the bride's dress fixed. And it was like layers of it were bunched and all stuck together right under her booty. And it's like, the, the so you, dress, you got you got your hand up in there and fix that or what? Well, I was trying to, but I couldn't. So we ended up like six minutes before the ceremony. I had to clear the whole room out, had to send the bride into the bathroom, had to have her take off her entire wedding dress as she's like completely ready to go. Hair, had to did, take it. What with the hair though? How do you get like that? No, it's all, it goes, no, it goes down. Oh, wedding okay. dress always go down. So she okay. pull them up and pull them down. So she had to <laughs> take her whole dress off and stay in the bathroom throw the dress out to me. I had to do a quick fix to get everything untangled, then had to get her redressed and fastened back in all in time for the ceremony to start How on time. How long before the ceremony started did that, did that happen at? Uh, like I told you, it was six minutes before. Six minutes prior to countdown. Huh? And I had to like get her stripped out of her wedding dress and get her back in. And then she was like, I had it fixed in one minute and got her right back in. She's like, how did you get that done? And I was like, we'll take you out of the equation. I can fix it. No problem. <laughs> I was like wedding planner magic. And so she started laughing. So that was extra cost, by the way. Yeah. You'll see on the bill. It's like wedding planner <laughs> magic. It's like a tab at the bottom of the bill. Yeah, yeah. But that's really what my weekend was. It was an epic wedding. I'm super proud of it. And it's different when you've been working alongside a couple. I've been working with them for nine months. So it literally felt like 
it was my baby like coming to life. And like then you get to see it like everything was perfect. And that's what the bride said. She goes, literally nothing went wrong today. And I'm like, that's what happens when you have me. <laughs> that is so awesome. I love hearing that. I'm so proud of you. I'm so Thank proud you. of you and Kira and all the stuff you guys did this weekend and all the work. And um, I wish I could have been there to help you out, but I had to take care of the kids and wrangle those little uh, rug rats around. Yeah. Speaking of that, I was getting some funny pictures while I was working. Yeah, we went to the uh, now that we're getting into September and Halloween is next month. It can't be so quick already. Now they've uh, started converting the old stores they don't use anymore into these Halloween like superstores or Halloween. What do they call it? Like spirit Halloweens. Yeah, so we went into one of those last night and the kids had a ball just jumping around from set to set to spooky thing to spooky thing. Mason wanted to try the masks on. I said, no, you can't try the masks on, buddy, because you're not supposed to do that, you know. But he was. Uh, you know, he was there. Oh, I want to be this one. I want to be that one. And they're jumping around the different props. And they had these scary tunnels. Kind of weird. It's like, I don't know if you can buy this or just a set design for this store. But you walk in this like hallway looking thing with these doors and these windows with these like kind of like neon little lights that kind of pop up, pop up in mm -hmm. the windows. You're like in this tunnel, like a love tunnel. I don't know what it is. But love tunnel of fear. <laughs> but you're walking on this like weird platform. Okay, whatever. We're walking this platform. And then you stand this one area and these lights kind of come on. And the floor starts vibrating and buzzing like like you get electrocuted and these little sparklers like electric like wires that are like supposed to be like broken off and like hanging from the ceiling like it's a, you know, broken wires like live wires are hanging down right in your head. They light up and dance in blue lights and the whole Weird. thing and the whole thing like not only like spark but make that sparking kind of sound. That was actually the coolest thing I saw. I think that was pretty cool because the whole set was there. You feel it. it's like a 4D experience in the store. In the middle of a Halloween superstore? Yeah. So I don't know if that's a whole set you, you buy for like your front lawn. And that's here in El Cajon? Yeah. Yeah. Not too far from me. Yeah. Okay. And um, at the store there, they also had other sets too where you step on these platforms and the big thing would like move in front of you and, and they growl and they kind of would. <laughs> and there's other ones that would pop up in front of you, like the uh, jump scares, you know, they had those there too. But um, yeah, the Hollywood... Hollywood's Hollywood Halloween Superstore <laughs> is very Hollywood out <laughs> with all of the different props from all the different movies. They're like all the major movie stuff is there from um, Child's Play to Friday the Thirteenth to all uh, the things I hate. Scare. They have had a, a Squid Game costume you can buy either the the red guy character or the one of the contestants of Squid Game. They had that there too, so it was quite a fun thing. You know all the different apparel they had there. And um, all the different costumes. They had like pretty much like I like to have this T-shirt wall, which had like all of like it was like I would call it, like the generic like I'm too lazy to get dressed costume costume, which is what I would do. <laughs> it has like just like a T-shirt that says I love Halloween or Friday the 13th or some kind of like meme uh -huh. of a different movie. Like you have to watch the movie to kind of get it like Camp Counselor, Jason, you know, mm -hmm. uh, what else was it? It was like um I think uh, the Child's Play one had something with toys or something on there, but there were just these themed things for the uh, for Halloween because I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, what did the kids say that they want to be for Halloween? Like, I know they're going to change their mind seventeen different times. But Mason wanted to be uh, what's the guy from Star Wars, Darth Maul from Star Wars, because okay. he got the lightsaber at Disney World, so you already get the prop for it. He tried the mask, he tried on it at, <laughs> at the place, and he wanted to try it on. We tried that on, but. Uh, Jacob wants to be the scream character, the ghost face scream. Right. That's what he wants to be, but he might change his mind too. And they had zombie stuff. They had all kinds of stuff. Oh my goodness. It was crazy. That's so fun. Well, I'm glad that they had a really good time and 
had some good daddy time because they weren't with us last weekend, right? Yeah, it was kind of nice to have them back in town, even though it was nice having a peaceful time, no children for an entire weekend. Gosh, what is that like? If you ever get that, really soak it, let me tell you. But uh, yeah, having the kids back, we just kind of hung out, did that. The kids watched the game. The Chargers played today. Chargers versus the Raiders played today. Chargers won. Sorry, Mason. And because he's a Raiders <laughs> fan. And um, so we watched that. Went to Old Town with your bestie before we took her to the airport. That yeah. was great. And uh, good weekend. Now that we're coming up on Monday, back to work for you. Yeah. And it's going to be a really busy week again this week, but it's going to end with me having the opportunity to go up north for my niece's baby shower. And I'll be seeing Ezekiel, but. Um, you know, he's really excited to spend time with family together, but um, also I'm helping to host this baby shower for my niece. And, um, you know, what's so funny is I'm so obsessed with buying all types of like baby outfits and baby accessories and things like that. Yeah. Speaking of baby clothes and clothing for children, our very next guest decided to start her own very own new company all about clothing and uh, sustainability and maternal mental health. We'll be back with her right after this. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. Visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another fantastic VIP guest. She is a clothing designer focused on ethical brands, and she is focused on maternal mental health care. Welcome to the show, Teresa Nast. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. Oh, hey, Teresa. How you doing? How's your day going today? <laughs> My day's going well. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we're super excited to have you on the show today. Where in the world are you joining us from? I am in Connecticut, New Haven, Connecticut on the East Coast. Oh, New Haven. Okay. That was a, that was the name of a town that was from Gilmore Girls. Was it? It wasn't yes. where they lived, but it was, is that where she went to school? Yes, because Yale is New Haven. Yes. Yeah. Wait, is Yale in New Haven? That's what she just said. Yeah. (laughs) Listen, I don't know my East Coast from my West Coast, so I don't know. (laughs) Is New Haven a big city? It is a good size. It's not a big city, but it's a good size city. Um, Is it mostly like built around the university? Like there's a lot of towns that when a big university pops up that everything kind of, it's like the center of the world. It is. It is a big part of New Haven. But there's also a lot of New Haven that is not Yale-focused, which is also really nice because we are not in the Yale community. Um, so people in the Yale community always wonder why people live in New Haven that don't have any affiliation <laughs> to Yale. But we're like, well, we just – we like the city. <laughs> so here we are. Fantastic. So what's the weather like? Are you guys still going through a heat wave? It The past couple of days, it's like a humidity wave out here oh. right now. <laughs> Yeah. East Coast. That's one thing I remember the East Coast. It's always this huge humidity, but not like high levels of, of hotness, but it's yeah. more of the uh, humidity kicks in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where we're at. We've had a touch of humidity out here, but we're going through an excessive heat wave. We're located in San Diego and yeah. it has been massively hot. Like we just stepped outside. It's not even lunchtime right now. And we were both like dripping, but a touch of humidity plus like... <sighs> triple digit heat in San Diego is 
totally not the business. <laughs> That's brutal. Awesome. Well, how long have you lived in Connecticut? Um, so my family moved here when I was in sixth grade. And then I went away to college, lived a couple other places, and came back here, met my husband, who I went to high school with. Aww. And then we just, we stayed. Oh, we're that's here. awesome. High school sweethearts. Yeah. What's that even like, you know? <laughs> well, were you high school sweethearts or were you post-high school sweethearts we are that met in post- high school? Yes, that one. Uh, we were friends in high school, but it wasn't until we met after college again that we had a romantic relationship. Yeah, it's like, what are you doing this weekend? I don't know. What are you doing this weekend? Hey, now. Was it one of those situations where he was secretly crushing on you in high school and like you wouldn't give him the time of day and then you like, oh my gosh, here's this wonderful guy now. He's hot now. (laughs) I think it was more the opposite. Oh, (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Well, that's so Um, awesome. It is. And actually, my husband is a teacher. Um, and he teaches where we went to high school and we lived down the street and it's, the whole thing is very funny because I left high school saying, I'm never living in Connecticut again. And here we are. <laughs> oh, wow. No, yeah. Is, yeah. Is Connecticut a big state? Because I when I look so. at the map, I don't no. like, I see size wise, it looks smaller, but I don't know how small geographically it is. Like if you drove from one side of the state to the other, how long does it take you? Two hours. And is that it's, the long longest direction, yeah. <laughs> end to end or top to bottom? No, the longest direction. You can be like anywhere within the state within two hours. Um, so it is small. What's the neighboring state? We have New York and we have Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Okay, okay. Ooh. So where would be a travel destination from you? Like, where would you go to? Like, hey, we're going to go to X place. You could drive there. What would be your place you'd go to? A place we went this summer that was really fun um, with our whole family is Providence. They have a really fun zoo there, and it's a family-friendly city. That's and- in Massachusetts, right? Rhode Island. Oh, sorry. R- yes, Rhode Island. <laughs> See, I don't know. How would I know, you know? <laughs> So it's an under two hour drive and it just feels like an escape because you're out, you're out of the state, you're in a different state and the kids are like, oh my gosh, we're in Rhode Island now. You know, it's like, they think it's a big deal, even though it takes like an hour and a half to get there. So when you cross state line, do they make you do that? Like uh, I hear they have this do this like produce check thing where you have to like make sure you're not smuggling any like produce in and out of state. Do they do that there too? Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> it's just California, Chris. What is That's up with that? Funny. Every time we cross the border from like Arizona or from Nevada, they have to go through this agricultural checkpoint where they check, make sure you're bringing any foreign fruits or vegetables or animals into the state. Or humans. Or humans. <laughs> or humans. <laughs> no. Right. Get your passports out, you yeah. know. <laughs> you're entering California. Oh. It's a whole different world. Well, I love hearing a little bit about your backstory. Now, I was reading a little bit about you that you may have a child or two or five. <laughs> How'd that happen? We- <laughs> so they teach you that in biology. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we do. We have five children. Um, they are 11, 9, 6, 4, and 1 now. Newborn. So she's more like one and a half. Okay. I still call her a baby, even though she's definitely a full-blown toddler who thinks she's a preschooler. So. <laughs> oh, is it because the older, older kids, yes. she's around the older kids, you kind of like yeah. warp her into that. Being older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. She's just one of the crew. So 
raising five children and having such a busy life, uh, how did that lead you into the world of ethical clothing? (laughs) So I've always been in a creative world. Um, Growing up, I went to art class instead of soccer practice. Um, I went to college for studio art. I, um, I majored in painting. Um, I had a studio when I graduated. Then I went back to school for fashion design. So I've always been in that kind of world. And I always wanted to get into children's clothing. I actually used to make bridal and bridesmaids clothing. I had a business before. Totally different. It's but. funny because I was going to ask that. I was going to say, if you're like an artsy kind of person, had you ever dabbled in bridals? So did you make yeah. gowns and like bridesmaids dresses? I did. And wow. my whole goal there was to make things, you know, everyone's like, oh my gosh, you can totally wear this bridesmaids dress again. And then you never will. Um, but I made skirts and tops and I used, I still wear the skirts all the time. And mm-hmm. I wanted to make something that had a longer lifespan because it's so sad to buy something, wear it for a day or like six hours, and then that's it. So that's a whole like that's a whole like wedding process. It's, you're just <laughs> yeah, having totally. a wedding to a tea, you know? Yeah, it's like on exactly. their flyer. We wear the, wear this once. <laughs> Chris is saying that because I'm a wedding planner. That's my, oh my side gosh. business, and so we were just with um, our niece last night, and she's going to be a bridesmaid in our nephew's wedding, and she is. Um, expecting a baby and she's trying to find a bridesmaid's dress that fits her baby bump and that she actually would think about wearing again but is in the right color and we were calling all of these different places down here in San Diego and they're like no we don't we don't do maternity bridesmaid's dresses and I was thinking oh my goodness like we just need somebody to make one for you that's cute and in the right color scheme <laughs> yeah I actually made several um skirts for people who are pregnant and it was easy because the waistband just goes over your baby bump. Mm -hmm. So even if you get it one month, you know, it's still going to fit you through your pregnancy because if you just wear it up high and it looks super cute with like a shirt knotted, you can wear it casually or with a nicer shirt for the wedding. Yeah. That's a great idea. (laughs) So look for that. (laughs) (laughs) So you were started in like the bridal area and then Mm -hmm. when did you start to transition out of that and into other areas? So um, after our fourth baby was born, I never went back to my bridal business. I left it saying like, you know, when we get into more of a routine, I'll start taking orders again. And it just the time never came where I was like, I want to get back into this. And I always had children's clothes in the back of my mind. Like I remember being in my studio sewing, making bridal. And just thinking, like dreaming up a children's clothing collection. So it was always there. And then, you know, I wanted it to be, I wanted to start it. There's so many children's clothing companies. There's so many clothing companies anyway that I wanted to do it the right way and feel proud of how the clothing was being made and what it was being made out of. Um, Instead of just putting more stuff into the world, I wanted it to be really thoughtful. So I spent a lot of time researching fabric, where it's grown, how it's grown, who's growing it, factories of who's working there, what are the working conditions, how are the employees treated, are they paid fairly. I just wanted to make sure that everything checked out, that um, I could tell the story behind the clothing and be really proud of it. 
That's really incredible. Now, that whole process, did you find that it was very time consuming? Because when I think about clothing, I think of, you know, so many people are on a budget and while they're conscious of where their clothing is coming from, they're also conscious of the price tag. And I would think that the longer that the research takes that it might cause the price to go up. How did you figure that out? So it's not, a, yes, this has been a work in progress. You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, but even more than that, instead of like the research and time behind it, the price is more because, because I know exactly where things are coming from. There's a higher price point to that, higher quality fabrics. I want these clothing to last through more than one child, you know, mm-hmm. pass it along, hand it over to your neighbor, cousin. Yeah, or the or the, the, the youngest kid gets the oldest kid's stuff. <laughs> totally. Exactly. And a lot of our clothes, like my kids do not pass down pants. They are destroyed. Yep. And that oh, was yeah. that was a pain point, right? So event like what we do now is like you wear the holes through during the school year and then in the spring and just cut them off and then they've got shorts for the summer so smart <laughs> like, <laughs> i didn't think about that you know? right so um we try to make everything last as long as we can with having five kids but um but i wanted to make clothing in a way and let and back to what you're asking yes the prices are going to be higher but the idea is to invest in a quality piece. Like you do not have to buy my whole collection of clothing. I'm using neutral, natural colors. So it's already going to work with what people have in their closets. So if you just want to buy one piece, buy a sweatshirt that can be worn with everything that you already have. You don't have to buy pants that I'm making to make it work. I was really conscious of that too, because, because it is an investment. Right. Have you heard of the term capsule wardrobe? Yes. Okay, can yeah. you tell us a little bit about what, what that is? What is that? Yeah. So it's essentially you have a small collection of clothing, but everything can work together, which is precisely what I'm doing. So in my collection, there's two pairs of pants, two tops, a sweatshirt, like a lightweight jacket, and a romper. Everything can go together. The pants can be worn with all the shirts, the shirts with all the pants. You can put a jacket over the romper, the sweatshirt. And because of the way the colors are, they're very neutral and natural. It just all works together. So the idea is to buy less, but to buy quality that's going to last instead of buying more and in not great quality and like more trendy, like to invest in timeless, classic quality pieces. That makes a lot of sense. So when I was an emerging professional before I became a school principal, I would find like five sets of slacks that I really liked that were high quality. And I remember my previous spouse gave me such a hard time because the pants were like 90 to $100 a pair, which is very pricey, but they were really high quality slacks. And only now it's what, 14 years later, am I having to uh, redo the seams, the internal seams on them? But because of the fabric was high quality, um, I can still use those. And I bought a coordinating set of capris. So I had like four sets of capris, five pairs of slacks. And then I could just rotate through those and not have to purchase all kinds of other clothing. And so I think that what you're saying is really important that so many places like 
I'm not going to say the names of the stores, but the girls shop at right now, like the <laughs> yeah. teen, the 20 somethings shop at these clothes that mm-hmm. are appropriately named for a 20 something to shop in. Are you talking about yeah. Forever 21? <laughs> I wasn't saying the name, <laughs> but I've bought shirts there before and they were like, you know, they're inexpensive enough that if they rip or whatever, you don't have to worry about it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but what if I fall in love with that shirt and I can mm-hmm. only wear it three times or it shrinks after the first time? Yeah. Like, what do I do? And I don't want to just have a closet full of disposable clothing because then what happens to it afterwards? Well, that's the big problem is that you nailed it. It's disposable clothing. And then where does it go? It gets thrown away because after three wears and the way that this the stuff shrinks, it doesn't even shrink proportionally. It's like wonky where it just right. becomes right. ill-fitting. And so you can't even like hand it along to somebody because nobody else wants to wear it. And so it gets thrown away. And this is a huge problem with all of these kinds of stores with the disposable clothing. There is so much waste. Like there's so, (laughs) there's so much wrong with how the clothes are manufactured and produced and the kinds of dyes that are being used. And then there's so much wrong with the poor craftsmanship that just has minimal lifespan. And you see these influencers talking about like, oh, look at my new haul from, you know, wherever. And so they're just selling. There are some websites, they're ter- they're putting out new styles like once a week. Wow. No way. Hey, Teresa, it's crazy. Yes. So um, <clears throat> as far as like the clothing manufacturing goes, mm-hmm. what about the ones that claim pre-shrunk but they're not <laughs> what does that even mean oh, no. like, what is, you know what i'm talking about when they say the pre-shrunk yeah. or whatever like the jeans was like a pre-shrunk totally. and you wash them and then like you dry them like what happened here did it get bigger i don't know just because they're pre-shrunk doesn't mean that they're no more shrunk <laughs> now is that because right. it's cotton or how's that work what, what's a good material like what i know everyone says cotton and all this other stuff and there's yeah. I mean, I, i'm a guy coming from, you know, from my perspective like i know like t-shirts jeans shorts that's my wardrobe for the most part but um, what would be a really good material uh, for a fabric? So cotton is a really good material. It's just that they hopefully on these pre-shrunk garments that you're buying, there are really specific washing instructions. It might say like hang to dry or, you know, wash only on cold. Um, Wait, people, so- you're supposed to read those instructions? <laughs> you're supposed to do that? Come on, start the washer and hit, hit go. That's- that might solve a couple of your problems. <laughs> or mine too, considering he does all our laundry. <laughs> oh, no. So, um, but uh, Teresa, what, as far as the fabrics go, yeah. um, I know like, like from my perspective, I, I, I see polyester as a fabric they use and cotton's a fabric they use. Nylon, is nylon being used in clothing too, I think? Uh, yeah, and not as much. There's a, a lot of recycled nylon that is coming out now, which is great. That company is... Like even these big companies are starting to catch on. Like people want to know all, you know, they want to know where they're spending their money. They want to know what they're getting. They want to know what is in their clothing. People are looking for a story. You know, they, and I, I mean, I am telling my kids, you have a say in where your money goes. You have a say in who you support. So if you learn about the company, find out what they're doing you can feel better about spending your money there. So even if it's still a big company, but like, hey, we're now using recycled nylon or like recycled regenerated polyester. It's a step in a good direction. Mm -hmm. Does it feel any different though than regular (laughs) stuff? No. 
Oh, okay. So you wouldn't know the difference yeah. really by no, looking at it. You wouldn't, no, oh, you wouldn't okay. know. Okay. So when we were talking about cotton, because cotton is a good fabric, uh, I've seen, I mean, we've traveled through the South and I lived in the Central Valley of California. So there's a lot of cotton farms around. And mm-hmm. I know the history of cotton, you know, and originally the harvesting of cotton, at least in the deep South, was on the backs of the slave trade. And so mm-hmm. there's been a lot of transformation in that industry to machine harvesting and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, which can create like pollution in the environment. So when you speak of like ethical sourcing, let's take cotton, for example, what are you specifically looking at that's different from a big box clothing producer? So I am using all organic cotton and a a difference between organic cotton and conventionally grown cotton. Organic cotton is typically hand-picked, so the fibers are longer, making it more durable. When it's machine harvested, it gets a little more chopped up. So that's just one thing. But then also, when it's grown organically, it's not putting chemicals and pesticides into the earth. So you can have a cotton farm, and next door, you can be growing vegetables or food or, you know, something that you can actually eat. With conventionally grown cotton, it kind of, you can't do that. It's because <laughs> it takes over the whole area. It also impacts the health of the farmers. Um, the health so that's of the farmers? Part of it. Yeah. Like not yes. being around the chemicals as much? Exactly. So if it is handpicked, um, because there is that historic oppression that's associated with cotton harvesting by hand, how do you become aware of who is harvesting that and the ethical compensation of those individuals? Because as a Latina, I'm always hyper aware of conditions that migrant farm workers are put under for harvesting. And cotton is one that's just, it could be so abrasive to the hands. Is that part of your research and your sourcing? Yeah, just by going straight to the source. If you find a company that is going to open up and tell you what they're doing, then it's something you can feel good about. I mean, I can't go to the farm to see it in person right now, but having conversations, like I know that the cotton is grown in Texas. I know it is then shipped to North Carolina where it is um, spun and knit into the into the fabric that I'm going to be using. And just by having these conversations with people at the company and then being so open to talk about it, uh, it's when you ask questions and you get pushback or you don't get the answers or you get a runaround. That's when, you know, a red that should be a red flag. Absolutely. I mean, I can I can foresee that being something where if you were to ask a farm like, okay, can you talk to me about your harvesting practices? And if they say, oh, well, everything's handpicked. Okay, well, who's handpicking them? What are the conditions that they're under? How are you mm-hmm. ensuring that your employees are cared for in the Texas heat? Mm-hmm. Like those are the things that if I knew that I was purchasing, uh, let's just say a romper, for example, but I knew that it was from somebody that was out in the field and was well compensated and cared for with a company that's looking out for them. Um, that would be something that I would be open to because I think for me, when I go with those big box kind of retailers, I know at least, well, it's the machine harvesting. So then it's like a trade-off if you're actually yeah. aware of it. It's like, well, I'd prefer mm-hmm. the machine to do the work because thinking of a worker having to be out in that hot sun, 
but I could see how how both sides would be have a point, you know, in, in yeah. the clothing development process. Yeah. And that's an interesting perspective on it too, taking it, looking at it from that way. Like you can look at it from the environmental standpoint that organically grown cotton is better for the earth. Mm-hmm. But but like you said, you also want to make sure it's in the best interest of the people working there. Right. And so that's, yeah. you know, that's a very important process when we're talking about ethical sourcing and ethical mm-hmm. clothing is making sure that it's ethical for all. And so I was just wondering about how you ensure that. But now you talked about your process. Now, who do you clothe? Is it like grandma, grandpa? Is it like the Golden Girls? Who's your, who's I your target audience? Like clothing for kids, maybe? <laughs> clothing for kids. So to start out, the size range is going to be like zero to three to two or three T. So babies and toddlers to start. And then my plan is each season to grow in a size range. Okay. Um, to start, it felt very manageable to start small. Start with small sizes, and then we can grade up from there. The thing about my designs that I like is the pieces, it's not like standard little baby clothes. You know, it's designs that if they're graded up to elementary school kid size, those kids can wear them too. They're not babyish. They're not like, you know, cutesy. I would describe it kind of minimalist with a modern twist. They're made for play. They're functional pockets to store, you know, all the mulch and stones and bugs and <laughs> bugs. All, good, good stuff kids bring home. All the good stuff. Oh, that look you I find. found the backyard the scorpion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and are is all the clothing gender neutral so that it could be used for children of um any gender? Exactly. Yes. Very okay. interesting. Perfect. So when you talk about like the neutral tones, is it more like like browns and khakis or is it like blacks and grays and all of that. So the first collection, a lot of it is just a natural cotton color. Like, so it's kind of off-white. But what I've done is use different textures to break it up. Like there's a terry cloth, there's a waffle, there's a rib. So it has these different textures to give it interest. There is also, I'd call it like a, a rusty caramel color too. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Uh, Right? <laughs> that's his favorite flavor is, car- is caramel. So when you say that, he's like, mm, that's a- that sounds edible. Yeah. <laughs> that's totally. Um, yeah. So that breaks it up a little bit too. But I wanted to make sure because we have boys and girls and I know going from, you know, I feel like going from boys to girls, you know, my daughter, I put her in like all the camo pants and whatever, but my boys don't want to wear, you know, my daughter's leggings or you know I would, the, yeah I, I get that yeah respect yeah totally and again that doesn't have to be the whole wardrobe you know you can mix in the girly girl pieces with the other pieces that I have so just being able just being super versatile was a big goal of mine too so Teresa about the durability of the clothing how mm-hmm. do you pick a promise saying these outfits are good for x amount of Years or wears? Do you put anything like that in writing? No, I can't really do that because it depends on the kid. You know, some kids are happy like sitting playing blocks, whereas my kids are all pretty rough and tumble. Like my six-year-old daughter being, she will climb anything in front of her. (laughs) So it just depends how the kids play. Like 
Are they crawling around on their knees all days? You know, like my kids pretending they're they're animals or whatever, you know? Uh, but the goal is to like the the one pair of baby pants that does have reinforced knees because okay, yeah, I was gonna ask you about that. The yeah. first thing to go, right? Um, a couple of the shirts, the cuffs, and on the pants, the cuffs are longer, so you can roll them up and then roll them down. So it's kind of a grow with me idea, also to Got give it. give it longer life that way too. So in the manufacturing process. Are you behind the scenes of your company sewing everything or is that something that you outsource? Because I would think that if you're doing it all yourself, scaling it would be really hard. Plus, you know, holding them down the fort at home. Yeah, that would be really hard. I am not doing the sewing this time. With my other business, I did do everything. But I, that's another reason why I just kind of walked away. It, it was too much. I can't. I cannot do it all. And I know that. And it's better for me and the business and my family to outsource these things. Um, so there is a factory that I'm working with in New York, which is like an hour and a half from me. So I can physically oh, go there right. and see everything, which like, is amazing. It was like it's in China or something like that. And you can, right. You know, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of these other ones and stuff like that, too. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that it was something I could go see. Even finding something on the East Coast versus, you know, there's tons of stuff in LA, but I wanted easy accessibility um, that I can be there. I can go pick the stuff up. I can go with my daughter. My 18-month-old daughter is our fit model. So. Perfect. <laughs> I, right? That's perfect. So what do you do about quality control? Do you physically check out the, the assembly line or how's it work? So that's a good question. So I haven't gotten that far yet because we are going to launch in about um, six or seven weeks. So I know, right? But I do plan on being on hand to make sure the factory does do quality control. And, um, but you better believe I will be inspecting. You have to be. You better. It's your your baby. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) No. Yes. Now, speaking of babies and having five of them at home, one of the things I was reading about in your bio is a passion mm-hmm. for maternal mental health care. Can you talk to us a little bit about what role that plays in your business and your personal life? So I have I've had anxiety basically my whole life. And after a few of my kids, I did experience postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. It was after my last daughter was born last year that it was a whole new level of postpartum anxiety. And I know there were a lot of factors in it, you know, of course, hormones being the front runner, but we were still in a pandemic. I was home with all my other kids worrying about like our fourth baby was in the hospital when he was two weeks old for a couple of days, just kind of reliving that and just hoping that that wasn't going to happen again. You know, like things that I didn't really think about that I just thought like, oh, it happened and I'm fine. But just like having this new baby. So it was just kind of like uh, all of it <laughs> hit me all at once. And it was it was like a six, a six or eight week long just panic attack. It was brutal. But I I did reach out and I got help and I found an amazing therapist, which is really lucky because a lot of times it doesn't, it doesn't work out. You know, you can speak to someone, it's not working. But when you're in that headspace where you really need 
to find someone to talk to, it feels like impossible to keep going, to keep looking for someone you click with. But anyway, I was really fortunate to find her. And in all of that, what came up for me was that I had I had lost myself in the mix of everyone else in my house, of doing all the things. Um, I didn't have my business anymore, so I really didn't have anything for myself, and I was just lost. So uh, starting this brand, starting this company was really my start to getting out of my very deep, dark spiral that I had ended up in. Um, Is that some of the uh, tools that the therapist uh, recommended for you? Uh, that that was on me. I don't know if a therapist would tell anyone <laughs> to start a business with a newborn yeah. or other kids in the middle of a pandemic. But I just knew that that was something that I needed to do. And so I found this course. Uh, because I know the design stuff. I can do the design stuff is the business side of things where I was stuck. Um, And so I found this course and I got accepted. So I started doing that also. And and it sounds like a lot, but it was just what I needed Mm -hmm. at that time for me to be able to carve out time for myself to work on a project that I felt really strongly about. And You know, I had a newborn baby, so a lot of this I was doing with her just sleeping on my chest. And that's when therapy online became so huge, too. Mm -hmm. So I was really fortunate with that. It's so easy, too. You just got to, like, log log in and be there at home. You have to, like, even go anywhere. I know. And there were so many people that were resistant to virtual therapy before COVID. And I feel like it's really destigmatized that aspect of getting therapy in your own home environment because so many people were, well, I don't want to go into somebody's office and sit there and take so much time out of my day. And to be able to, you know, have it in your environment as long as you have like a quiet space to be able to, you know, hey, I'm going to take a break for an hour, take care of myself and go to my therapy appointment and then walk back out and be like, okay, I can handle this again. Yeah. Just, I think it creates a, a lower level of stress. But you know, going back to one of the things you said a little bit ago when you were struggling with your postpartum anxiety and depression, um, did you feel – Because and I'm asking this because I have friends going through this right now. Did you okay. feel kind of guilty for having postpartum depression? Um, I, I think later I did, but when I was in it, I – like I was in such a fog and my head was just constantly spinning. It was all I could do to like get through the things of the day mm-hmm. that I needed to do. So like to be honest, I don't really think I was feeling anything. Oh, good. It was, yeah, it would just, it felt dark. Teresa, did, did you have yeah. postpartum depression with your first child? You know, I did. And it was, <laughs> I and I at my six week postpartum checkup, I said, I feel off, you know, and I recently read something like a new mom going through postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety isn't going to say I have postpartum depression. She's going to say, like, I don't feel like myself. I feel like blah, you know, just, you know, not 100 percent. I feel off. And and that's what I flat out said. And my doctor looked at me and she said, well, you look well put together and you're baby's healthy and dressed so you can't be doing that bad and then I felt 
I felt really silly. I was like, okay, I just reached out for help. And uh, I guess I'm not bad off enough. Like, you know, so that was so detrimental. And it just made me feel really ridiculous for even putting it out there that like, hey, I'm I'm not quite myself. I'm not feeling great. I think I should be feeling different. And she just she made me feel ridiculous. And so obviously I did not pursue anything that time. But I do remember going through the next couple months after that feeling like, oh, well, there's people worse off than me. So I'm fine. I'm fine. I can completely relate to what you were saying. I remember when I had my son, he's now 17 and a half. I took him to the pediatrician and he was actually sick and I knew he was sick. And I was saying to the doctor, like, something's not right with my son. He's like, he's not okay. I think he has like a respiratory virus. And -hmm. the doctor looked at me and he was like, what's your support system like at home? And I was like, no, like you're making me feel crazy. Something is not right right now. And this isn't about me. I was struggling with postpartum depression, but it ended up being exacerbated by not being validated by my doctor (sighs) and or my my son's doctor. And I had to take him back like three more times. And each time he was like, you know, have you talked with the therapist? I'm like, you're you're not looking at the source here. It ended up my son had a life-threatening illness that was overlooked for like 10 days. But, you know, I think that there is such a, a stigma to postpartum depression. Sometimes I, I wonder, I mean, doctors, I think, are getting a lot better about recognizing it and its symptoms. But I think that people play it off as, oh, you're just feeling overwhelmed or, Mm -hmm. you know, you're just adjusting. And I don't know if everybody outside of moms themselves, new moms themselves, understands how your world turns completely upside down where you're now full-time having to care for another human and it takes away from even being able to care for yourself plus all the hormones and all of that. It can be really, really hard. Really hard, really overwhelming. And as many books as you read and as many people as you talk to, until you're in it, you don't know, right? Right. Now, does this happen for every new mom or is it only only few get this? No, not for every new mom. Um, But I do think it probably happens more than new moms are recognizing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think some moms are just like, oh, it's just because I have a newborn. I'm feeling this way. Oh, I'm just super tired. Oh, this is normal. Oh, it's just, you know, it's just the hormones, whatever. I think a lot of times it can be brushed aside, which makes it even more isolating. A lot of times you you might not want to say anything because you might be judged. People might, you think um, people might think you're not a good enough mom. Oh, like she can't get her head together to take care of this baby. You, you never know. Do you right? think that uh, surrogate mothers go through the same thing? Absolutely. Because that's even Absolutely. worse. They have to give the baby yes. away. Even so, if you have a miscarriage, mm-hmm. you still process all of those hormones. I, With my first miscarriage, um, I went through it and I didn't know what was happening. And I called my doctor's office. Just I could not stop crying. I Obviously, I was very sad. I didn't know what was going on. I had to have surgery. So I was dealing with that. I had two young kids at home also, but I could not stop crying. And I called and my doctor was like, oh, don't worry. It's just the hormones. Like 
yeah, it'll stop in a couple of days. And I was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Like, like it's not going to stop. (laughs) Right. Like I'm really sad and I feel really bad. So, so yeah, any, any person who has had a pregnancy, whether it ended too soon or, you know, whether you, you know, don't keep your baby, but you've had a baby. Yeah. Everyone is susceptible. Does do uh, the husbands or the fathers? Do they ever get anything like that? I mean, I'm trying to remember if I get anything like that. What I ended up getting for me was just like taking care of the baby twenty four seven. That was my depression for myself. But um, <laughs> but your your dynamic was different too, honey. Because what's different about it? Because you were in the middle of going through a breakup but from your marriage, when, but this- not when the baby was born. Oh, okay. You know. All right. <laughs> Yeah, so well, different different dynamics, but you're thinking about postpartum depression and this passion that you have around maternal mental health care. How are you leveraging or how might you leverage your business to really focus on this area and create more awareness? So, uh first of all, doing podcasts and talking about it and writing blog posts and bringing attention to it on my social media. I decided or what I realized was um when I read something or hear something that someone else is going through that I can identify with, it makes me feel less alone. Mm-hmm. So I decided if I can be that person for one person, because it is, it can be a very deep, dark place. And if one person can hear what I went through and hear what I'm saying and feel like, okay, I'm not, you know, I, I can be okay too. Right. Yeah. It's with, yeah. I like, I like hearing stories like that with all kinds of different things. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can range, range the, the gamut from, you know, being homeless to wealthy to, you know, whatever. So totally. And then the other thing that I'm doing to bring it onto more of a local level for me, when I was going through all of this, I was looking for a community. I kept thinking there has to be other moms in my community going through this. And I couldn't find anything. And I'm like, why is there not, why, why is there not <laughs> a group where moms, and I'm not talking about like play dates or breastfeeding group, but like, hey, I don't feel like myself. And here I am with a couple other moms. We're in the same boat and we can say stuff and not be judged. And I couldn't find that for myself. But <laughs> when I got myself a little more back together, started reaching out, I did find a woman who does run these groups in my community. And um, yes. And so I am committed to donating money to her and her um, groups that she runs. And they're right in New Haven. So I'm supporting local moms, which is really important to me. Um, And she works predominantly um, with Black and Brown women and the mental health they have a harder time with mental getting support for mental health and getting support for so many things. And so I am extreme. I know that I am very privileged to be able. I found a therapist. You know, I started this business. These are all things that not everybody is able to do. And I recognize that. So if I can support new moms in my community to let them know that people care about them, people care about their new babies that means a lot to me, then these big organizations are also great and they do amazing things. But just to have it on a local level, uh, for me, it 
means more. It does mean more. It's your own community. It's your own people. You know, it's your mm-hmm. it's your neighbors. Your you know people you meet at the store. You know, it's people totally. around you. Which it's really a good place to start. You know, I, I, that's fantastic. You're doing great work. Oh, thank you. It means a lot. <laughs> so. Talking about your clothing brand, we, we've talked all this time. We haven't actually said the name of it. Can you tell us what the name of your brand is and where our listeners can find it? So it's West Rock Apparel Co. And the website is westrockapparel.com. And you can sign up for my email list and stay up to date with the launch coming up. Um, on Instagram, it's at westrockapparelco. Have you so, got, have you found any? Are you going to go into actual stores? Is it, it going to be like Amazon or just directly the website? For now, directly the website, and okay. then if I do go the retail route, it would be like smaller, more specialty stores. Right? Yeah, like more uh, like boutiques and things yeah. like that. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. So, are you thinking go nationwide or only staying in Connecticut? Um, that's a good question. Eventually, like. My plan is to grow slowly in a in a way that feels because talking about sustainability, this company has to be something that I can sustain, right? So starting small, starting locally to places that I can actually get to, then I mean it would be amazing to expand across the country. So when are you gonna be on the show Shark Tank? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know if my nerves, I don't know. Yeah. Talk about anxiety. You know, I heard that if you go on the show, whether you get a deal or not, you got to like pay or something or is there something to it? Because you get, even if you're like a failure on the show, like the sharks don't want nothing to do with you, people still look you up and still purchase your stuff. So it does give you a boost. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. You know, but uh, just imagine if one of the sharks, you know, got on board with you and just launched your company to, you know. To the sharks. Yeah. To the sharks. <laughs> the sharks. <laughs> yeah. That would be awesome. It would be awesome. So you're launching in six to seven weeks. Um, do you have mm-hmm. any special launch promotions that you're going to be advertising or anything that we should, like any specific day we should be on the lookout to get on that, you know, that like they call about like the clothing drops, all of these like influencers, they're like, the drop is happening on Tuesday. Like, is there a date that we all need to be tuned in for so we can help you sell out? Uh, you're amazing. I don't have a specific date yet. I am still working with uh, my factory, getting final samples done and getting final patterns done. I want to have everything buttoned up. Um, so Literally and physically. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm hoping mid-October, but if you're on my email list or if you follow me on social media, that's a really easy way to stay in the loop with everything. I think that that's fantastic. I would love to purchase some of your clothing well, because I have are- because I have a oh, new baby that- grand niece that's being oh, born. That's right. I, th- I feel so old to say that, like a great niece. It's like I'm <laughs> I'm gonna be called. Well, I'm calling myself Granty. It's like great auntie, but oh, she love it. My niece is pretty young. She's like in her mid twenties, and so she's having a baby girl in December, and she is really about like ethical sourcing and neutral color tones. And I would love to check out your inventory and figure out how I can get on that first clothing drop. That would be amazing. (laughs) I would love that. Well, so again, tell our listeners where they can find you. And um, are there any pre-orders that you're doing or is it just going to be when the launch happens? Yeah. So actually the whole, um, it's going to be a pre-sale 
campaign. So I haven't decided if it's going to be strictly through my website or through Kickstarter. And so what this does is also cuts down waste on manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So it will be essentially kind of made to order. Um, They do that? Is that a thing? It's a thing. Yeah. I mean, if you're Um, pre-selling something, it's like you know exactly what to manufacture for the first drop. I think that's what a lot of people are doing now is like either pre-sales or they only drop a certain amount in certain sizes. And once it's sold out, it's sold out. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I'm hoping the idea is that the pre-sales will be through October and I'm hoping for a holiday delivery date. Um, Fingers crossed. Okay. That would be amazing, and it would be yeah. quite the present. No pun right? intended. <laughs> um, Atresa, what what made you decide the name West Rock? So, my I live in the Westville section of New Haven, and we have um, on the east side of New Haven is East Rock, and we have West Rock, and it's just this really beautiful space in our city that it's kind of like this nature retreat in the middle of our city. And it just felt really special to me because this is where our roots are. This is where we're raising our family. Um, this is our neighborhood. Oh, that's fantastic. That's amazing. I, I love, love that. I love, I love that, that personal thank connection. You. Well, we really want to thank you, Teresa, for being on the show. Any last words for our listeners, whether they're consumers or new moms that are listening in today, what would you like to leave them with? Uh, new moms, you got this. And don't be afraid to reach out for help. It doesn't make you less of a mom. It doesn't make you less of a person. It's important to find the support. Fantastic. Thank you, Teresa, so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. If you love music and podcasting, now you can have both. Introducing the brand new K2 radio station, available 24-7 on the Live 365 app for free. Specializing in rock and alternative music. We're talking bands like Coldplay, Nirvana, Muse, Imagine Dragons, and yes, even the Rolling Stones. They have all stopped by to drop off songs, and we even have brand new popular tracks added every single day. Also on the free K2 radio station, we are including podcasting. Get the best of both worlds. Download the free Live 365 app or listen online at live365.com and type in K2 Radio. Wow, that was so informative talking with Teresa about West Rock Peril and also about maternal mental health care and really the struggles that so many women face when they're encountering postpartum depression. Did you have a little bit of that too, you think? You know what? I actually did. I got really severe postpartum depression because after Ezekiel was born, it was really hard when uh, his dad was home with me for two weeks after Ezekiel was born. And then, but I had a C section. So I had a really rough recovery where I just wasn't getting all of my strength back. And then, you know, you're cut open. And so you're trying to heal. And there's a lot of pain associated with that. And you have, a, it's like a regular surgery, like any other surgery. Well, right? like not even just a regular, it's a full blown, like they're cut through all of your abdomen, like all of the layers of your abdomen. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're not able to really carry anything. And so it was hard for me. I would get a lot of pain when I would like try and pick up Ezekiel as little as he was. And then you're not really allowed to like drive around very much because when you're healing like that, if you were to get in a car accident, it would do severe damage. So you're not allowed to drive yourself for several weeks. And it was really difficult. And then Ezekiel was only 
10 days old when he first started to show signs of getting sick and we didn't know what was wrong with him. I would take him to the doctor and like get him checked up. And the doctor thought that he would ask me if, or he was like thinking I was just an overprotective first time mom. I'm like, no, there's really something wrong with my baby. And so he was, I was like, does he have a cold? And he's like, no, you know, he can't have a cold. He's too little or a sinus infection. Uh, man, it's like super traumatic even thinking about it. But I took Ezekiel back to the doctor four times over three weeks and he was getting progressively worse. And every time I would go, the doctor would downplay it and I would feel like I was going crazy. In the meantime, I knew something was wrong and I was feeling so powerless over this little tiny human that I couldn't take care of because I was feeling like a complete failure as a mom. Like, how is it that I've gone through all of this and I've birthed this beautiful baby and now there's something wrong with him and nobody believes me. And all that was going through my head is I'm going to lose him. I'm going to lose him. Like nothing good in life happens to me. I'm not, I don't deserve to have a beautiful, healthy baby. Like something, something's going to take him away from me. And I would, I was so worried that whole time. And then when people don't believe you when something's wrong with your baby, it really messes with your brain because it's like people talk about mothers having like that motherly instinct. And I did like I knew something was not right with him. And then they just like he was even there and the doctor would like study him and he was having a hard time breathing. And he's like, nope. And then like after a few weeks, he's like, I think he does have a sinus infection. And I'm like, you just told me a couple of weeks ago that if he had a sinus infection, you'd have to do a CT scan and all of this. And I kept asking him, does he have RSV? And RSV in the Central Valley of California is this really prominent respiratory virus that goes around that can develop into pneumonia. Um, but the thing about RSV is it's really active during the winter months and it can live on surfaces for up to 72 hours. And so- Is it a virus or what yes, is it? Yes, it's, re- it's called respiratory syncytial virus. And what it does is it creates um, the body- it's, it's a really bad cold, but it increases mucus production in the airways so much so that in a little tiny baby with little tiny airways, it completely can clog their airways so they can't breathe. So they they literally feel like they're drowning in mucus. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And so you have to like suction stuff out of their nose and their airways. Well, I kept asking because I knew it was RSV season. There was always these like public service announcements on TV like, watch your baby, watch for the signs of RSV. And he had all of the signs, but the doctor was like, no, he doesn't have RSV. And I was like, can you just do a test? Cause it's just a swab and kind of like the COVID test. It's exactly what it would have been. I was like, can you just do an RSV test on him? And he's like, he doesn't have it. So I don't think we need to do it. And I'm like, can you just test him? No, he doesn't have it. Like multiple visits. And finally, um, the, the last time I went to see him, the doctor was on Valentine's day and Ezekiel was so lethargic and he was just like struggling to breathe and he was really sick. And I took him to the doctor and that's when he's like, Oh, I think that he has a sinus infection. And I was like, can you just test him for RSV? He's like, this isn't RSV. Well then three days later, Ezekiel, like I woke up in the middle of the night because I was exclusively nursing and I felt like, Oh my gosh, like he hasn't woken up and I haven't nursed him. And I looked at the clock and he'd slept for seven hours straight, which was very abnormal. And I looked at him and he was barely breathing. Like he was struggling so bad. We had to rush him to the hospital. He was critical when we got there. 
like very critical. They had him in this room. They called it the code blue room. Like they were ready for him to crash. Like they thought he wasn't going to make it and surrounded with like seven doctors. We were at a teaching hospital too. So then they had like all their interns around because they were like learning how to like handle this little tiny baby. And at the hospital, they're like, why didn't you bring him in sooner? And I said, I've taken him to the doctor every other day. And I asked him if it was RSV and he refused to test him. And he said it wasn't RSV. And so by the time we got there, he was so limp and fragile. And so he was hospitalized for a full two weeks and going through that as a new mom. Um, once he was hospitalized, he was so critical. I wasn't able to feed him. Uh, he was under this, um, it's called a head hood. So it looks kind of like a, almost like an astronaut's, uh, helmet, like the air bubble, but like on his back and it had this continuous medicine pumped into the little head hood. So he was, um, he was on oxygen in his nose and he had these steroid treatments that were kind of swirling around his head that he would have to breathe in. He was on IVs for hydration. I wasn't allowed to pick him up. I was just allowed to like hold his little limp arm. And I just sat there and I cried for days. And then I, they'd have to bring me in like the, um, the pump so that I could keep pumping every two hours and storing all of the milk in the freezer there. Um, and I stayed around the clock. Like here, I was like so excited to have this baby and I got to have him for like, he was three and a half weeks old when he finally was hospitalized. So it's like, I got 10 days, <clears throat> excuse me. I got 10 days of him being a healthy baby. And then my world was rocked and all, all the mode that I was in was fighting to keep my baby alive and then I, after he got out of the hospital, he was um, almost six weeks old. And when you have a C-section, you're supposed to go back to work at eight weeks. So for me, it was like I had him for 10 days and then he was sick for two weeks and the doctor misdiagnosed him. And that's, you know, now I'm at three and a half weeks of maternity leave and then he's hospitalized for two weeks. So now I'm at five and a half weeks of maternity leave. And then they expected me to bring home this really fragile baby and have to think about going back to work in two and a half weeks. Right. Yeah. And so I would just cry. And, oh, that's horrible. And so my doctor actually took me off of work for a full another month, but I was a new teacher. So then um, I didn't have the sick leave to cover it. So then it hit us financially. Oh, gosh. Did you, and, did you basically didn't pay you for that month? Well, they take the cost of a substitute out of your teaching salary. Luckily, I had supplemental disability insurance that helped a little bit. But it's like, talk about the perfect storm for postpartum depression. I like had postpartum trauma and depression. And it was really hard because then Zeke had some long-term health implications from that. And so... I think my postpartum depression lingered through like the first three and a half years because he had all of these um, health challenges and I just felt like a complete failure as a mom. Oh, you're not a failure. Look at him now. I know. He is amazing. He is my son. Our son, um, Ezekiel, is so resilient. He's so stinking strong. And so I just have to remind myself and that's like encouragement to any mom out there is. I know you're going through really dark times right now and it can feel really heavy and hard, uh, but know that it's going to get better. And just, I think the thing I didn't know is I didn't know the signs of it. I, I just remember calling my mom and saying, I don't feel right. I feel really like I'm crying all the time. And luckily my mom's in the medical field. And so she was like, okay, honey, let's go get you to the doctor. 
let's, you know, you might have postpartum depression. You might, they call it the baby blues. And she's like, and you just need a little bit of help. And I went to go see my OBGYN and laid out for him everything that was going on. And he was like, I wish you would have come to me sooner. He's like, this is what you've gone through is unfathomable. Like this is so devastating. And, you know, I did get on some medication to help me for a little bit to regulate. Um, and here's the thing that I learned about antidepressants at that time. Cause I used to feel like, Oh, antidepressants are for weak people. But what it does is your brain can get so depleted from serotonin, which is like what helps you rest and stay happy and balanced. And then it can't replenish itself without help when you get that low. And so the antidepressants give your body and your brain like a rest state so that it can replenish those healthy natural chemicals so that things don't feel as overwhelming and so that you can respond in a healthy way. And so, you know, I, I would say that experience has made me super empathetic to new moms. Like whenever I see a new mom, I'm like, Hey, is there anything I can do for you? Like, do you need a little break? Do you, um, how are you holding up? Do you have everything that you need in terms of support? How are you in terms of postpartum recovery? Because it is, it could be lonely and so overwhelming. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Well, Did you ever get the, like the daddy blues? Sometimes people do get those. You know, I got it when I had to go back to work. It was yeah. like, it was like, I, I remember the time when uh, Mason was born, uh, I was working at a place about now, you know, and, and uh, my ex-wife went into, she scheduled to go in for the, um, what does it be scheduled for your C-section or induction? Like both. Okay. I, think, I think it was both. But the problem was something happened where it was a false alarm, but I already told work I'm taking the month off oh. or six months off or no, six weeks off or what it was. They already, they already got at me in the system of taking time off for the six, six week plan. Mm-hmm. Great. But it was a false alarm. So I just stayed off for the entire time. Wow. <laughs> and, and then until Mason was born, probably like a week before I go back to work. So like on the fifth week, Mason was born. So really I only had a week with them, you know, um, during that time. And why I, wouldn't you have just gone back to work and then had them shift it? I thought it was supposed to be, I was trying to follow everything by the steps they had, you know, way mm-hmm. the, I asked them that and they said, well, they already put the, put the plan in place. It's already set for this motion. You already told them you're having the baby today. So this is what the time frame is supposed to be from this day. You told them. So HR did it that way. And it's a big major company. So, right. um, and I was newer there too. It was probably my first year I was working there. So I wasn't too exactly sure how to, who to talk to or how it all works. I just knew my boss. He filed the paperwork. It just went mm-hmm. down the chain. So um, it was funny. I was off for like a month prior to uh, to the actual birth. But um, it was nice to have the time off. I loved having the time off. That was great. I remember hearing that I get six weeks off. I was like, yes. Yeah, but here you're supposed to help out your wife or ex-wife now, but your wife at the time with this new baby, that must have been so hard for her because that was Mason was your second and Jacob was really little. So she only had help for one week before you had to go back and she had well, to do don't it forget, I, I had I had all the kids, uh, all the entire, well, I had Jacob the entire month leading up to that, of course. And I, I took care of Mason, too, for that week. But uh, she stayed out of work for a long time. So it was what do you like- mean you took care of him. She was the mom. She was there. You were helping out. Right. Because it's not like she wasn't in the picture. You guys lived together at the time. That part is correct. Yes. But the part of me taking care of the kids is also correct. Okay. That's what I'm saying. All right. All right, Mr. Mr. Mom. No, it's Mr. Dad, by the way. <laughs> Super Dad is like to call me in the streets, you know? Well, that must, yeah, that must have been really hard for you going back to work after only like a week and then, you know, being feeling powerless against it. And I think that that's something that if I could change the world, I would really focus on how do we 
support our new moms and dads without having to worry about being able to keep a roof over their head right after they have a baby because that early bonding is so important for moms and dads to feel balanced. And then you go back to work and you feel more productive. And so anyways, I just love that Teresa was on the show today and really helped us to shine a light on this, this complexity for new families and for new parents around maternal and paternal postpartum health care. That's right. You got anything else there, baby? Nope. I think that this has been a fantastic episode. And so if you liked what you heard, even if you didn't like what you heard, uh, go ahead and stop on over to <laughs> our website. That's imp- impossible. <laughs> stop on over to our website. And what where is that website, Chris? It is www.chrisandchristineshow.com. And we got every single thing you want to know all right on over there. We got a little bit of Christine Smith Designs on over there. We got a little podcastic audio over there. And we got a little bit of K2 Radio right on over there. Absolutely. And so definitely check out our website. Check us out on all different social media channels and streaming platforms share if you like this episode or others we'd love to also hear your feedback and we just appreciate each and every one of you and we'll be back with you next next week. week